Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a comment. And actually, uh, I have to apologize to the commenter uh, because I I kind of lost this. I knew about it, but I, for, I lost it. So anyway, this is from Washington State. And this... this uh, Writer says, hello from Washington State. I wanted to write in and thank you and Mr. Turgeon for the latest series on Moby Dick. Not only was it highly entertaining, it was very educational. I found myself learning from every single episode, and I look forward to the next series on Churchill. I appreciated the dynamics between yourself and Mr. Turgeon, and especially enjoyed the light bulb moments when one of you learned something new on the spot as you were going through the book. <laughs> that was really true. I look forward to tuning into your future programs and listening to the Dukes of Logan County. And he, he says, that's my nickname for you and learning something new. Well, I think if you call us the Dukes of Logan County, then you need to buy us t-shirts. So anyway, <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, keep up the great work. So uh, we plan, don't we? to do that so so uh here we are into the uh the first book of the of the new series on winston churchill in our last episode mr turgeon and i gave an overview of mr william manchester's superb introduction to my early life and began to cover early parts of chapter one now for today's program we will continue to explore these first three chapters of my early life it is in these chapters that Mr. Churchill gives us insight into his deep thinking at his young age. And that, that to me is, it's, I know he's writing this as an older man, but as he's writing it, it's like he's there as a little kid. And he's got some pretty deep thoughts on things. <laughs> so, so I thought we might want to do that. Um, I, I did just wanted to briefly just touch on this thing and, uh, about the Fenians and, and Mr. Burke. And it's just because I think it's part of that deep thinking of a little kid. And, uh, uh, if, if you look on this page, it's, it's bottom of page two. It says, uh, in the Phoenix Park, there was a great round clump of trees with a house inside it. Inside this house, there lived a personage styled the chief secretary or undersecretary. I am not clear which, but at any rate, from his house, there was one, there came a man called Mr. Burke. He gave me a drum. I cannot remember what he looked like, but I remember the drum. <laughs> so two years afterwards, when we were back in England, they told me he had been murdered by the Fenians in this same Phoenix Park we used to walk about in every day. Everyone around me seemed much upset about it, and I thought how lucky it was that the Fenians had not got me when I fell off the donkey. And so, so that is really, I think it's a, it's, it's a mind of a, of a little child. You know, you can see it's like, well, wow, they didn't get me, you know, <laughs> but, but the, uh, <laughs> he did get a, you know, an injury in his brain, which was really serious. <laughs> so yeah, he got a concussion from that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but that is funny. I mean, children, 
do think about themselves first. And then as adults, if we're not careful, that's how we will turn out as well. Yeah. But children, I mean, when they love an adult, they love the adult because of what the adult provides. Yes. So that's, I mean, it does make sense that young Winston was thinking about his own safety and not really having the type of remorse that he should have had about someone being killed. Right. Right. But he did love the drum though. Yes. He really, he really, he never forgot the drum. His drum didn't get killed either. (laughs) No. So uh, I, I think it's also very interesting. Um, let's see. We, we want to, uh, to maybe mention this also. I think it's kind of page four because we were talking about this in the last program. It, it talks in there on page four about his mother it says, my mother took no part in these impositions. This is when he was having trouble with the governess. And he says, my picture of her in uh, Ireland is in a riding habit, fitting like a skin and often beautifully spotted with mud. She and my father hunted continually on the large horses. And sometimes there were great scares because one or other didn't come back for many hours after they were expected. So he goes on to say that my mother always seemed like a fairy princess a radiant being possessed of limitless riches and power. Lord de Abernon has described her as she was in her Irish days in words for which I am grateful. Now, we read those before, so I don't want to read those again. But but we were talking about, you know, what was she really like? And this is, uh, you know, Manchester talked about what he said in the beginning. But this is still, if, if you really see it the way it is, um, he he really still saw her and he's giving her us the impression of her as as a child with his mother he said um he said that with all these attributes of brilliancy and such kindness and high spirits that she was universally popular her desire to please her delight in life the genuine wish that all should share her joyous faith in it made her the center of devoted of a devoted circle so so he talks about her in a positive way but then he goes on to say that his, the person he was closest to was Mrs. Everest. He says, My mother made the same brilliant impression upon my childhood's eye. She shone for me like the evening star. I loved her dearly, but at a distance. So, so this is a, this is the, the thought of a child. And I thought it was, it, you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And so, uh, uh, you know, but, but he goes on to say that, that Mrs. Everest was his real confidant. And he makes all these things. He said, he says there, Mrs. Everest tended all my wants. Uh, it was to her I poured out all my troubles. He talks a little bit about this girl that she raised, little Ella. Uh, Mrs. Everest taught him to be fond of Kent. The capital of Kent was Maidstone. There they, they grew strawberries, cherries, raspberries, and plums. And Winston said, Lovely. I always wanted to live in Kent. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a little kid, isn't it? Yeah, I always wanted to live. And then she taught him to not like France. All right. <laughs> she, she said, do not like France. And he says there that uh, one day, I guess she had him in his little carriage, and she took him as, uh, she says, Shams Elysee. <laughs> and that's actually the Champs Elysees. That's the, that's the most famous avenue in Paris. <laughs> you know, so, so anyway... Uh, it's it's just really, I think, really, really interesting there. Well, that's the type of relationship that parents should want with their children. Like yeah. Winston loves his nanny, and his parents had plenty of money. They could have easily had the mother staying home 
and watching her own son. And, and she could have had that kind of special relationship with him, and yet she was never around. And then a chapter or two later in the book, Winston is saying that he only had three or four intimate conversations with his father his whole life. His whole life, yeah. I mean, that's just so sad. It, doesn't, it didn't have to be that way at all. No, no, it didn't. So, so anyway, but I think it's interesting that um, it does seem, like if you look at page six, it does seem that Mrs. Everest really did spend a lot of time with him. She had a sister on Ventnor, and Ventnor is just on the southeast coast of the Isle of Wight. So you could see they moved him around. You know, and so if she went on vacation, she took him on vacation. And then uh, her husband, her sister's husband was the prison warder. And so he says that ha- the prison warder was his best friend. <laughs> you know, so so obviously, you know, it's some little children, they, they if they find another adult who's older and maybe even uh, maybe the same age as their parents, sometimes they will befriend them more. You know, you, I, I know there's little kids that I know really, they like me. And I'm just like a person out there, you know. So, <laughs> so but, but they'll, they'll, they'll do that. Okay. So um, I think it's the, the whole sum here is, is uh, he brings up all these things. He's a Ventnor, and they, they were having the war with the Zulus in Africa. And he said he hated the Zulus. You could just hear a little kid saying, I hate them. And then he says, yeah, they were just naked, <laughs> naked black people, you know, who could really throw spears really well. He's, he's really. He's glad to hear they're being killed. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad they're being killed. It was a horrible war. I know uh, I looked it up a little bit this morning. and But uh, he, he talks about he saw this big, beautiful ship, the Eurydice. And this is off the coast of Isle of Wight. And it was just fascinating to him to have the, you know, this ship. You can see a little guy really being fascinated by a big sailing ship. And then there's a storm comes up. He had to leave there with the, the uh, prison warder because they were going to get poured and drenched in rain. And then they come back a few days later and that ship had been sunk. And that's why Winston remembers this. He remembers mm-hmm. the catastrophic moments of his childhood, like this shipwreck. And then the next paragraph, he's talking about a train wreck. Those are things that would really stand out to a little child. Yeah. But what's, what's interesting, though, to me in, in, that, in this page is that he really, you could see he's influenced by politics. And he says, how terrible of our government that they would let, let that bridge, you know, get destroyed in a storm. Well, <laughs> storms happen all the time. The governments can't necessarily fix it. Then he really goes after Mr. Gladstone. And, uh, uh, because, you know, Mr. Gladstone got, you know, took his grandfather out of being Lord Lieutenant in Ireland. And, and that really affected me. He said he's really a bad guy. And I looked it up and actually he was considered one of the better prime ministers. So, so, so this is, this is, I think, his own thinking. But I also think it's the influence of the politics, especially of Mrs. Everett. <laughs> you know, she didn't like the Finians and she also didn't like the high church. She hated the Pope. You know, and so so he got into some trouble because he he absorbed, you know, some of her things as well. Her she, he didn't like the Pope because she didn't like the Pope, and so so. But but you can just see. I, I guess I really enjoyed this because, um, you know, he, he's just writing. Even though he's writing this as an older man, he's still writing as 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 he was thinking as a child, and it's really kind of pleasing. To, to read it this is where i think manchester gets the charming the charming thing 
Um, I think it, when he realized, and he, he had all that trouble with the governess. Now he was seven. He had to go to school. And he says there, uh, he said, I, anyhow, I, I, I was perfectly helpless. He couldn't stop going to school. Irresistible tides drew me swiftly forward. I was no more consulted about leaving home than I had been about coming into the world. So, so uh, as he admits, he was considered a troublesome child. You know, Nicky was a little bit. Well, whose fault was that? His parents totally neglected him. Yeah, it's not. It's no surprise he really struggled in school. I mean, it, the the chapter says he loved reading, but whenever there was a subject he didn't think was useful, he just purposely wouldn't even try to learn it. No. So yeah. he clearly could have been smart enough if he had parents to hold him accountable at home. And, and make sure that he did his studies and took that seriously. Yeah. And then that, that the parents were, were, were really to blame for him struggling in school. Yes, it, it really was, uh, you know, I think as part of that generation, but they were also, you know, they had their wealth, they had their riches, they had their, you know, parties they wanted to go to, and you don't want to take a kid to that stuff. Why, so. why even have children, though? If, right. if if that's the way you want to live your life, fine. But then you you shouldn't have children and then just neglect them their whole lives. Oh yeah, it's terrible. I know that. It, uh, again, my parents, I think, really really tried very hard to take good care of us. But but at that time, it was the Catholic priest was really in charge of our house. It wasn't my dad, and that was you know that. And anytime I had a question, well, go talk to the priest. We'll go to this, and it's like. In some ways, I was left to be educated by nuns and priests. And, you know, who knows what they were really like. I mean, the history of them, priests are not very good. <laughs> so so, so anyway, uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that he hated the Zulus. He loved the prison warder because they, they loved it. You know, uh, he talks about the, the, the Eurydice there, and, and uh, I could see being fascinated by a ship like that. But then he said it really put a scar on his mind because they were the 300 soldiers drowned and they were also being eaten by the fish. And that just that just said uh, that really scarred him. So that could give you that could give you nightmares. (laughs) So. So. All right. Uh, He's a troublesome boy Um, again. All right. Let's just skip into chapter two now. I think all of you out there, you can finish reading, studying that whole first chapter yourself. But uh, uh, I do think uh, you know, we have to move along just a little bit. All right. So any thoughts you have on Chapter 2? Chapter 2 is titled Harrow. And I, I like how at the very beginning of the chapter, he's talking about these examiners. So at school, people who test your knowledge of different subjects. I, I don't know exactly the whole British system, but he's, he's calling these people examiners and he says, why are they only trying to expose my ignorance in different areas? They don't, they don't care about my knowledge. I can, I can tell them what I do know, but they only care about exposing what I don't know. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of his general attitude about school. He doesn't like the structure of all of it. He doesn't like how the, the, the students are expected to learn Latin and Greek. And he, he says, what's the point of that? He was thankful that he was in the lower level where they only trusted him to be taught English. So he, he, came to master English, obviously, uh, later in his life. And it, it probably helped that he had that focus in school. He wasn't learning 
you know, Latin and Greek. He was focused on English because they thought he was basically too dumb to learn anything else. <laughs> yeah. He just didn't want to. Exactly. He thought, why? He thought there's no point to it, so he didn't yeah. really try. Yeah. It, it's funny. He goes, he says, I fancy, he said, the subjects where were dearest to the examiners were almost invariably those I fancied least. I would have liked to have been examined in history, poetry, and writing essays. The examiners, on the other hand, were partial to Latin and mathematics. <laughs> so, so at Catholic school, we had to learn, you know, we had to learn Latin. And then, uh, because of my, I talked about my incident with, with algebra, they never made me take too many, too many math subjects. <laughs> they even said, you're not even taking physics. <laughs> so, so, uh, but it was them that called me, caused me to hate mathematics. So and then Latin, I had to, I had to know enough Latin to be an honor boy. So, and I can still remember a few things: mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, and that means I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm heartily sorry. That's <laughs> so. That's my extent of Latin that I know. And you have to beat your chest by. The, I saw you doing you know, that. Yeah, you have to beat. It's, it's all there. It's still in there. You know. So, so, so anyway, um, th- this whole chapter on Harrow, I think, is is really. Uh, it's kind of repeated the other ones, but it's it's one you could go through fast because in some ways it's a little bit boring, you know. So, but uh, I love the the quote on page seventeen. He said, "Naturally, I am biased in favor of boys learning English. I would make them all learn English, and then I would let the clever ones learn Latin as an honor and Greek as a treat. But the only thing I would whip them for would be for not knowing English. I would whip them hard for that." Yep. <laughs> At so, least know the language you're supposed to speak and deal with every day. That's yeah. a fair point. Yeah, he, he really emphasizes in here the, the importance of the English language. And I think, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, if we do know in the world tomorrow there's going to be one one major language that's going to be given to everyone. And I, I think there are some people who are pretty well uh, knowledgeable think it's going to be English. You know, because it is. You can do a lot with English that is hard to do with Latin. And I, I think it's funny when he says, yeah, the the uh, the Romans, they had to make it so sophisticated that you can't even do it, you know. <laughs> a, but English is simple. Anyway. Right. Mr. Churchill is talking about uh, articles, just small words that connect the more important words in a sentence. And he says, well, in Latin and Greek, they don't really care too much about that. They just... They want to have every word be extremely important, and you have to look at it from all angles to even understand what it's yeah. talking about. Yeah. So, so anyway, it, I'm taking his word for for that because I don't know from experience. Yeah, well, That's what he's saying about it. Yeah, well, the the thing is, is you know, I know people that have studied the Greek classics and they've studied with you know, in Greek and all that. And they're just arrogant. I mean, they just have big heads, and it's like, well. Do you have a real life, or you, you know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, it's just like he even says here. He goes on when we get into that chapter on examinations. He said <laughs> he talks about the math he had to learn. He had to learn it in like six months. And he had to do this. This is to get into Sanders. And then he says he was in the Alice in Wonderworld <laughs> when he's learning mathematics. So, so it is. It is kind of crazy. Um, he, he talks a little bit there about how Harrow is different from Eaton. I don't think that's necessarily, uh, you know, a, a big a deal. So that that uh, it's certainly nice to know what he went through. Um, 
and again on on this page seventeen, I think you you just read this. You know, he's talked about. Uh, Thus, I got in my bones the essential structure of the ordinary British sins. So, so uh, I think that's really good. I think he was smart, really smart with writing. And uh, I do think it's funny on this page seventeen too. Is is of course he's in the lowest form, and and they have this big swimming pool at, here at the at Harrow. He said it's just like unbelievable. So he sees this little kid standing on the edge of the pool, and he thinks, oh, okay. I'm a little bigger. He goes and he pushes him in the pool. He saves his towel though, so his towel doesn't get wet. And then he finds out it's Amory. <laughs> Amory is in the sixth form. He's the head of the class. <laughs> and uh, he goes ahead and pushes him in the pool. And the kid comes right out and just wants to deck him, you know. So, so I think he he uh, he learned uh, uh, you know some really hard things. There, he said, I first went to Harrow in the summer term. The school possessed the biggest swimming bath I'd ever seen. It was more like the bend of a river than a bath and had two bridges across it. And so so he decides to push Amory in. And then every other little boy that was there with him, when he saw it, when they saw him push Amory in, they all freaked out <laughs> because they were all in trouble. <laughs> so so anyway, but it turns out then that they became uh, cabinet colleagues for years. And so so there are things you can... He said he he really he really felt like he had to go and apologize. So he really went and apologized, and uh, uh, then uh, uh, he says that yeah they were cabinet colleagues for years. All right. So uh, uh, anything else that you see there? Not really. I li- I like in uh, chapter three how just going back to how young Winston hated certain subjects. He he describes on page twenty seven how mathematics always made no sense to him. But then there was a moment where it all started to become clear. He was like having a vision about how math would would make sense to him finally. And then he said it was like politics, but it was after dinner, and I let it go. So it's almost like he had this passing vision of why math was worthwhile, but he didn't really write it down or think about it anymore and so then he he forgot that math had a purpose <laughs> and basically went back to hating it again sadly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really it's really funny uh at the top of that page too uh he, he's talking about himself and he says he's not a black leg so I, I looked that up i looked that term up and it's it the it's a very british it's a person who works or an employer who is on strike or a cheating swindler. So so he's saying he's no blackleg. In other words, he wasn't a cheating swindler. But then what do we learn in this book in the in this chapter about him and his friend? His friend can't write. Oh right. Yeah. And then he and his friend are doing each other's assignments. Because he can't he can't he can't translate Latin so he says to his friend, I'll write your essays if you help me translate the Latin. <laughs> and they they don't think they're going to get caught. Well, there's even another point at the end of chapter three as well, where a different friend and him uh, during one of their really important study weeks at school said, no, we're not going to play sports this week. It's, it's actually 
in the in the by the bylaws of the school that we don't have to play sports while we focus on our studies this week and they got a good beating from this from the <laughs> teachers but then there was some debate among all the authorities and they finally decided that Winston and his friend were right even though that's not what Winston and his friend were doing they were not using the extra time for more study but they still got away with yeah. <laughs> telling telling the teachers <laughs> that they didn't have to play sports that week. Yeah, yeah, They're pretty bold. It's actually pretty bold for them to do that. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it, it it is kind of interesting though that uh, when when this all happened with the examinations and all that. Um, if you go to page twenty eight, he says, "When I failed for the second time to pass into Sandhurst, I bade farewell to Harrow." and was relegated to a, as a forlorn hope to Cramer. Captain James and his highly competent partners kept an establishment on the Cromwell Road. It was said that no one who was not a congenial idiot could avoid passing thence into the army. So, so he had to go to another school to, to learn mathematics. And I guess there are, you know, in war, there would be mathematics. There would be, you know, how to really get the troops. And, you know, I guess there's all... All kinds of I I I definitely hate math like he did so so but anyway uh, you know, he was going he went to the school for the for the congenital idiots and then uh, uh, he he got a break from school and and I think page twenty nine is one of the most interesting things and uh, this is when he and uh, his brother and his cousin are at their aunt's house. And there's this bridge. They're they're chasing him, and and he escapes them. But then, one's on one side of the bridge, the other one's on the other side of the bridge, and he decides that he's going to shimmy down a pine tree to escape them. And when he gets up and jumps into the tree, the two boys go, "What was he thinking?" And so then he goes down and he gets another basically brain injury. Yeah, it says he was <laughs> unconscious for for three days. Yeah, I think so, did he break a bone too? I think he 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 lacerated his kidney at least. Yeah, he fell twenty nine feet, but <laughs> he was trying basically trying to jump from the bridge uh, onto a tree the that was tree. right below. Yeah, but he he thought maybe he'd have something to grip onto. I guess the branches maybe broke his fall enough because obviously falling 29 feet, you probably would die from that. Yeah. So he, he had his fall broken just enough, but he was still pretty, pretty badly hurt from that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it, it was not a wise decision <clears throat> at that point. Anything to not get tagged it <laughs> in a game of tag. In a game of tag too. So I, I think it's also interesting that, that, uh, he goes really echoes after Gladstone and and uh, what happened to his grandfather and he's upset about his grandfather and then and then they finally decide that that Irish people are not very thankful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was kind of tired of of uh, uh, Irish politics. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, I, I do think for all of you out there that are listening, is we're giving you the highlights. But there's still a lot more that you should read and, and, and keep reading about it. Um, and, and again, you don't have to necessarily accept everything that Winston says here because he has his own opinions about politics. And like I said, I looked up about Gladstone and, and uh, he said he was like horrible. 
you know, he said he was he was harassing people, rousing people to fight. And if you look at Gladstone, he did some great things for people. So so we can't always necessarily accept everything that he has to say. Well, one more thing. The end of this chapter, pages 41 and 42, Winston Churchill says that he really prefers the, the method of learning where you listen to a lecture by someone with authority on the subject and then you just take notes. So yeah. that's pretty similar to the way we do it at Armstrong College. Sure. Actually, just sure. learning from lectures. That's how that's how we do it in the church as well a lot of the time. Oh yeah. He said he said if only the schools he went to had done it that way, he would have really gotten out of the bottom of his class and been a lot more successful at school. Yeah. I think it's interesting you bring up about the church. You know, about at church we we actually are in school and we take notes and we have our Bibles open. You would never have that in the Catholic Church. One is you'd have to speak Latin. I mean, you really have to know Latin to know what you're being told. And and I remember as a boy, um, it was really pretty boring because you couldn't understand anything, you know. So so uh, anyway, well, that's all the time we have for today's program. On our next program, we will begin discussing chapters four through six, and it is with Winston Churchill's charming book, My Early Life. Now, you can buy My Early Life at Amazon.com. You can find a really good used copy at abebooks.com. I just have recommended a few other people to buy them there, and they're really, really inexpensive. You also may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore, and, of course, you can also check your local local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.